This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. It's the last of the Podhekins. A That's thing. a good. It was a good, good joke the first time, and it's a good joke this time. Yeah, it makes sense. What it? So you say it makes sense. What is it? What does the last of the Podhekins mean to you? It means that if we aren't careful. Mm-hmm. It's always there's always a chance that <laughs> we they, can bring down podcast. We, we can, can go bring down big podcasting. Last of the bro Heekins, because you and me are, are oh, good bros. We are good bros. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Or it's because it's been so uh, unseasonably warm lately that maybe we've seen the last of the snow Heekins. I'm just saying there are, there are mm. syllables that rhyme with Mo that we could have gone for. I'm out first. of coffee and now i'm the last of the joe heekins i am a joe biden dead ender and i'm the last of the joe (laughs) heekins also okay good these are good (laughs) puns that i'm sure everyone will appreciate that's really yeah it's excellent um this Uh, is our book (laughs) podcast every week one of us reads a book that we've never read before and tells the other person about it yep uh and every week we both have children now also, which has been a trip. Uh, Craig, you read. <laughs> they're not re- here on the podcast. No, they're not here on the podcast. I'm just like, I'm more used to the the parent energy balancing out because like one of us is a parent and one of us isn't. But now we're both parents and I'm still like, I'm still rejiggering my <laughs> my mental expectations of what the flow is going to feel like. So you read this week for the podcast. Yeah. What book? Well, I think... <laughs> don't worry about the flow so much, bro. Okay. The flow's fine here. Last of the flow. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Don't, if, you, if you worry about the flow, that's mm-hmm. when it'll go. That's um, when the flow goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read Last of the Mohicans by James Fenimore Cooper. It's oh, a, that makes... <laughs> that makes the last makes like five now. minutes make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, I have never read this book before. I've never seen the cinematic film starring Danny Day-Lewis. There are, you told me to, to look into the film, and I did look into the film, but there are also like a million, <laughs> a, sure. mil- a million films. Okay. Uh, so uh, 1909, 1911, 1920, 1932, 1936, 1947, 1957, and 1992. Almost and that's the every decade. One. Yeah, so we are like way overdue for one. Well, did they make or more? <laughs> did they make that TV show? Somebody. Oh, and there's <laughs> and there's one. There's a German one from 1920 where Bella Lugosi <laughs> is is uh, Hink- 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 H
uh, ignorance, malice, and uh, their own problems. Guns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and guns. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, um, and it's just kind of like embedded in the culture here. Been that way for a long time. Yeah, like all the so okay stuff about James Fen- Fenmore Cooper. He's a guy who wrote. He got the guy who wrote this book. You heard oh this JFC. Guy? Yeah, J- JFC. <laughs> SMDH. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Fenimore Christ. <laughs> uh James Fenimore Cooper was born in 1789, died in 1851. Uh he was in the navy for a while. He's there there's I would encourage you to go to the uh James Fenimore Cooper Society webpage which is run by the State University of New York. Uh very web 1.0, updated as recently as 2021. Love Still it. Still going. Yes. Um but yeah, he, he is one of the great dead white guys. Like he's one of those early American writers who was trying to make American culture its own thing that was separate from European culture. And I think we we've read other books in this in this vein yeah. um before. I think Moby Dick is one of these. Hawthorne we read recently. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um and he was also a romance writer. We've talked about this period. And so he when we say we he wrote romance novels, we don't we don't mean that it's about people smooching. We mean that he's writing in the romantic era in the early to mid 19th century. Uh, these books emphasized among other things, individualism and naturalism, hmm. which are two themes that good old JFC explored a lot. I know that like the Catskills and surrounding areas helped inspire uh, these works. Uh, so the uh, last of the Mohicans is the second in publication order and in chronological order of the leather stocking books. Um, which are all about this guy, <laughs> are all about this guy, Hawkeye, who I assume is called Hawkeye because his real name is, is Natty Bumpo. Yeah. So <laughs> could you find anything I could not as to why this dude's last name is Bumpo? No. Because his I name is know. Nathaniel Natty Bumpo. Yeah. And in this book, he is called almost exclusively Hawkeye or the Scout. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end of the book, he's like, also, my name is Nathaniel. Also, the uh, tribes that hate him or the tribes that respect him for his violence refer to him as, uh, what is it? La Long, La Long Calibre? No, La Long Carabine, uh, which is named after his big gun that, he, that, he, <laughs> that he's very good at shooting. Um, and um, no yeah, one calls I mean, him Mr. Me, Bumpo, though. Yeah, Natty Bumpo sounds like what you get if you fall on your bottom while you're drinking too much Natty Light. I feel like I, I fell. I fell and I got a Natty Bumpo. <laughs> I feel like I never heard the the name Natty Bumpo, and I honestly thought it was like you know some offensive a collection of offensive children's tales or something you know yeah, like that's the energy like, i get from that name. yeah it sounds like a, a like a character who were not allowed like they <laughs> took all of his stuff off of disney plus because we're we don't talk about him anymore now honestly there are some things in this book there's some things this book is dealing with that we probably have moved on from but it's still you know it's there natty bumpo is still with us i guess but that, that's the that's the approximate position that James Fenimore Cooper takes in the like historical canon. Um, there's a critic, uh, Evan Lang Pandya, who calls the last of the Mohicans quote, the premier crystallization of the frontier myth in American letters, the great, great grandfather twice removed of the Western. Yeah, it has, this book has big Western energy. And I think like, so the guy I was who's reading, only seen Western. <laughs> I was reading a little about, um, the first of the leather stocking books, Is that the, Pioneers, the Pioneers, which yeah, was published yeah. in 1823. Happy 200th birthday, the Pioneers. Um, Natty Bumpo in that, I don't know if he is in this one, but Natty Bumpo in that is pretty disdainful of like settlers and established society. Yeah. And he's like big into, into nature. and Yes. And it feels like a version of like the rugged individualist, like, Get your taxation is theft. Get your okay. hands off my guns. Like it feels like a very early precursor to that. I heard it. <laughs> like there was vein some... of vein of American culture where it's just like leave me, leave me alone. I just want to be a rugged big boy out in when nature. When was 
When was Daniel Boone? I feel like there's some like elements of Daniel Boone in here. Daniel Boone is a yeah, he's definitely a a precursor to to Mr. Uh, Bumpo. Old Natty Bumpo. Yeah. yeah. He's, <laughs> Daniel Boone uh lived from 1734 to 1820. So he would have died just before he would have gotten a chance to read about Mr. Bumpo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um he, I don't I don't get a full sense of Bumpo's politics in this book. I do get a lot of him not um not being down with like the european christian system um and he he refers to himself andrew at least 20 if not 30 times Mm -hmm. as a man without a cross or a man of no cross Mm -hmm. which he usually says as like combination like I am not beholden to conventional Christian morality, uh-huh. and I don't. And he's not a bad person, but I think he is like I do not swear allegiance to your popes and bishops and things. I just maybe and, he's one of those. Maybe he's just one of those Christopher Hitchens types who tells you more about being an atheist than anyone has ever told you about being. I a think Christian. that might be it. Yeah, because <laughs> he's all. But he's also like I am not allied with either of the colonial powers i have you know no specific allegiances to any of the tribal powers except for in this book anyway two two very specific dudes that i've been friends with for a long time Mm -hmm. and i we don't really get their backstory but they are old pals Mm -hmm. and he's really in the tank for them that's what that's what i know about natty bumpo (laughs) to talk about the two powers this book is uh taking place during the french and indian war which was the the um, like the north american theater of the seven years war where britain and france are beating each other up good use of theater good use of theater of war yeah thank you britain and france didn't like they had guys here but a lot of that war was like different native tribes that they contracted to fight the war for them. Mm-hmm. So that's fun for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um and the yeah the the event like the the central events that this book is happening around are like kind of sort of based in in reality like they're that the um they are marching in what was supposed to be like a reinforcement column for Fort Henry, the uh, like general Monroe, who's a guy in this was a real yep. guy. He didn't really have daughters. Like he does in the book. Um, and well, then what the, the, the heck, and then the part at the end where uh, the British garrison surrenders and then is asked to leave and then is attacked as it's leaving like that. That was real. Yeah. In so far as it happened, but the specifics are, are, a little, a little fudge, which we can talk about a little. Okay, if you want, at some point, I'd love to. Um, but yeah, and this this book was written during a time I think where white settlers in the U.S. thought that indigenous people were just kind of fading and would eventually either like die or be assimilated. Like it was just a thing that was kind of going away, which is why I think you get that last of the Mohicans name is like you've got this 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 noble savage character who, who we think fondly of. And then a bunch of people, other people who we don't really think fondly of at all, but like their time is, is passing. And isn't it kind of quaint to that? I have a friend who's a Mohican. Yeah. (laughs) Me, Natty Bumpo. Me, Natty Bumpo. Yeah. (laughs) The book ends with this like tragic fatalism about, you know, the tribes, of North America and it did not take me long to find an article by Madeline Syatt, who is a descendant of Uncas, who is one of the characters in this book, mm-hmm. who is actually not a Mohican. He was a Mohegan. Uh, Venomore Cooper's novel is apparently very responsible for that uh, broad error by the part of white people. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that Uncas was also like not a great dude from, well, from the other sources that I read. Fair enough. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but Syed is basically like, hey, like he I'm his descendant. Like I'm not the last. There's no last here. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're still here. Stop it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he was the last real Mohegan. You know what oh I mean? The last, real, the last real one. I 
I always appreciate when you take on the role of jerk. Jerk. <laughs> it's really a stress for me to do it. <laughs> it's really this is difficult. Um so like I I'm I'm cognizant of the fact that this book is like 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 other books we've covered is perhaps more interesting as like historical document. I would not recommend it as like this is a representation of this time period that is wholly accurate and respectful of all involved. Even yeah. though I think it might be it might have a little bit more sympathy than other works of the era, though I can't say that with any certainty. It does like feel like that's in there, but I I know a lot of that is probably kind of misplaced or or misunderstood sympathy. So it's yeah, so it's there are two uh articles on the James Fenimore Cooper Society webpage that I mentioned before. The URL is jfcoopersociety.org. <laughs> Ooper Society? Yeah, that's just how JFC Ooper Society. I yeah. think that's how it's pronounced. Okay. <laughs> uh there's one uh called Cooper's Indians a critique. Okay. Uh that I got a lot of good stuff out of and then there's another uh by Teresa Strauth Gall called Teaching Cooper's the Last of the Mohicans in an American Literature Survey, which is a little bit about trying to reconcile teaching this like white canon book and like this this book that is foundational to the American literature, America, if only yeah. because you need to like understand the canon to understand the stuff that wasn't in the canon and yep. why it wasn't in the canon. You know what I mean? Um, so the uh, Cooper's Indians, a critique article is, is mostly about the inaccuracies in the, just like the factual inaccuracies in the book and also where some of those might've come from. And also like the lasting effects that, that yeah those had. Um, so, uh, Cooper's got a couple of he's got like two types of Indian character in his books. Yeah. He's got the noble savage and the savage fiend. This this uh, article contends. Okay. Uh this is this is quote a fundamental and often discussed theme in Cooper's writings. Um and this is quote uh, a misunderstanding of eastern woodland Indian cultural dynamics on Cooper's part which can be traced to an equivalent error in the source of his information on the Indians. It is generally acknowledged that Cooper relied extensively on John Heckewelder's account of the history, manners, and customs of the Indian nations who once inhabited Pennsylvania and the neighboring states, published in 1819. Um, so, like, Cooper's info is bad because he's, like, getting it from a bad place. <laughs> I love it when we can point to folks like Cooper. I do think that there is... A lot of the chapters in this book, I'm going to invoke Shakespeare in a second, and it's not just because it's another big old white guy, um, mm. but like Cooper borrows a lot of quotes from Shakespeare at the beginning of his chapters. But like there are specific, like the Hollinshead Chronicles, there are specific sources that you can point to Shakespeare using, mm -hmm. which is like interesting if you want to understand his own sense of the world. And that also, like, to me, helps understand why it was probably one guy who did it and not anybody else. Yeah, like, um, you, you, it, it is interesting to be able to go back and identify the specific links in the game of, like, historical telephone. What wikis were they in, reading? Yeah. Yeah, that res resulted in, like, decades and centuries of, <laughs> of like, misconceptions and, yeah. and stock character types. Because you, because Cooper helps to, like, perpetuate and popularize these character archetypes and then this book is huge yep and then those character archetypes just like pass into stock characters and it is so 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 long before like the culture at large can like look up and look around and see like oh wait this might not be this might actually not be cool. and by the and, like i think it's yeah. like as late as the uh, we we read the the Indian in the cupboard book a while yep. ago. Like I think it, in stuff like that, even you've got like a lot of those archetypes and a lot of those like tensions still persisting yep. in in literature, like through yep. to very nearly the present day, and also you know kind of still the present day. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, that that uh, article ends. It is clear, therefore, that no one, not even James Fenimore Cooper, knew who the last of the Mohicans was. <laughs> <laughs> got him um but yeah just uh it talks about inaccuracies like like the hurons which is the the group that they're the antagonistic uh, 
tribe attacks the, the British. It's yeah. like by the time this book would have been taking place, this this essay posits like some combination of invasive diseases brought over by Europeans and like wars with other tribes would have made this particular society fundamentally unable to fight a war with this efficacy and at this scale. Okay. Okay. Um, and just uh, from the outset is clear and surely there is consensus that Cooper was a novelist and not all that interested in nor capable of presenting an accurate historical or anthropological rendering of the time period in question. I do not really think any responsible person has ever claimed he did so he can dispense with any straw man. Huh. All right. So yeah, it's, it's just an interesting read to get some to f- some facts straight. Yeah. Well, in I'm a, glad in a, in a, the timbre of it is not like I'm going I'm here to cancel James Fenimore Cooper. It's oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's too old to be canceled. He's never heard of Twitter. He would die if you told him what, he would if you would brought him back again. to life and told him what Twitter was, he would die immediately. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, and I'm glad that you did some of that inaccuracy stuff up front. Just because then uh, I can just talk about what is in the book. Yeah. And we know we can just know that like some of it is not yeah. true. Just suffice it to say that any given specific fact in this book is pretend and made up and based on like broad strokes at best or ba- absolutely yes. nothing at worst. Based on some under-researched pamphlets that he read mm-hmm. before writing the book. Mm-hmm. Um. So should I get into it? Is there anything else yeah, you want to talk about? No, let's do it. I've I've got some other odds and ends, but I'll bring them up if they if they come up. But that I think I think we've placed it in context. Okay, I think I had an some context. Okay, time with this book. Mm-hmm. I don't love reading stuff from this time period because it's very wordy. Mm-hmm. And while I can appreciate a good time with the English language, mm-hmm. it does make it difficult when you're reading an adventure mm-hmm. and the prose is an adventure. Yes. So when you're trying to get through your action sequence and you're like tripping over some super long sentence about e- something. Yeah. And like, I, you know, we've come back around. There's lots of modernist, postmodernist stuff where it's like the point is how long it is. And that's mm-hmm. fine. It's just a style thing. Let me just tell and you. I mean, me just, at this at this time, they hadn't invented how to write shorter yet. <laughs> so at least they like they have that excuse. That's true. Here's just an example of one of the the other thing that this book does from a stylistic perspective it knows that there's a reader. It's that type of, it's that era of book where the author will mm-hmm. be like, and the reader will recognize. Reader, I married him. Um, so here's a, the beginning of a chapter. Leaving the unsuspecting Hayward and his confiding companions to penetrate, to penetrate still deeper into a forest that contained such treacherous inmates, we must use an author's privilege and shift the scene a few miles to the westward of the place where we have last seen them. I like that that entire paragraph would just be taken as a given Yeah, in a book. It's not like every time you read Game of Thrones and it, another... <laughs> POV opens yeah. up. Yeah. George R. R. Martin's like, hey, let me bust in here. We were we were with this other guy, and now we're gonna let allow us to travel north above the wall to ch- the the reader will appreciate the chance to check in with John's Yeah, no, it's yes, it, I love it. That anymore. it. There's there, I was in but a, maybe we should. I think it's fun. <laughs> it's it's fun to recognize how conventions like this go away. I remember in a film class I took we talked about film. Yeah. I took a film class once. It's weird. Uh, early, like in earlier films and not all of them, but like you might take more time with your establishing shots to like, cause the audience didn't necessarily know how movies like yeah. uh, that style of movies worked yet. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. na- you don't need to show the guy walking from the car into the front door of a building. You can just show the car in the building and then you go to the apartment right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like you used to you used to show him walking up all the stairs or maybe mm-hmm. you would for suspense effect you know mm-hmm. um i don't know that's there's something here that is like i'm aware it's a novel you're aware it's a novel but also i'm dealing with historical fact so i'm 
me, J- James Fenimore Cooper. I am writing yeah. about things that did happen mostly. So I'm yeah, going to like remind you of the novely parts of it, which I think is, is interesting. Um, mm. But yeah, that just gives you a sense of, of some of the language. It's fun language. I don't. So, I also one, wonder a little bit if it like if it if it is meant to give him plausible deniability on his factual oopsies, or if if, or if, if he even cares about that. He's if he's inserting the author as a potentially like not fully reliable narrator, or if that is just me being too like benefit of the dowdy slash like English 101 E about Yeah. About well and so there's there's a he does write an introduction where he says these are all of his words. It is believed that the scene of this tale and most of the information necessary to understand its allusions are rendered sufficiently obvious to the reader in the text itself or in the accompanying notes. Still, there is much obscurity in the Indian traditions and so much confusion in the Indian names as to render some explanation useful. And then he spends a few pages uh, talking about uh, people and tribes and uh, nations that I'm, I bet some of his facts are not correct. Yeah, probably. Uh, it, it is well, in, I think, eh, well-intentioned might be a stretch, but it is in, his intent to unpack a little bit of the fact that people know less than they should, like white people know less than they should about the tribes and characters he's writing about. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously he's working from as we've already said, kind of specious. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's interesting to know about the Heckwelder thing ahead yeah. of time because it doesn't fully exonerate him from like it doesn't excuse the the inaccuracies, but it does explain them It'll, yes. in a way that yes. means we don't have to like keep explaining. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Um, so, okay, what is the top level plot of this book? There are some white people. Mm-hmm. Um, who are English, mm-hmm. and they are part of, as you, I think you said, a relief column of troops that are that are headed to Fort Henry. Eh. What a relief! I know. Well, hmm. uh, and it involves this guy, Major Duncan Hayward, who is. Oh, this gets me in this book. His name is Duncan Hayward, and sometimes the book is like Hayward did this, and sometimes like Duncan did this, and mm-hmm. I did think they were two people for a while you did just want them to pick one yeah well and then this guy david gamut who's basically a bard like Mm -hmm. shows he's a religious bard shows up multi-classing he shows up and i honestly thought that david duncan and hayward were like the same person for a little i got very (laughs) confused um, but these it's, are all the the names of like a, a kooky character actor judge on The Good Wife or something. Like these are <laughs> names that call attention to themselves in a way that is funny to yeah. me. Yeah, well, and like Duncan Hayward, he's like your honestly, he is almost the main character of this book. He is your you know, he's your good soldier boy who just wants to marry the daughter of the general that he loves. And he's gonna go help her, and Natty Bumpo's gonna come into his life and help him. Yeah, I was led to, I was given to understand that this was a book about our friend Natty Bumpo. Yeah, it is a book about Natty Bumpo, but he does occupy an interesting, um, like position in this book in that it is he comes into the lives of these characters, mm-hmm. and we spend a lot of time with these characters, and so like. Natty Bumpo is allowed to be a little mysterious. It's mm-hmm. it reminded me of in Hound of the Baskervilles. You spend a uh, lot yeah. of time with mm-hmm. Watson. Mm-hmm. Well, because he's he's the one who's writing the thing. Yeah, and then like all of a sudden, uh, you know, <laughs> I forgot his name. Sherlock Holmes shows up. Wow. He- <laughs> I mean, maybe it's because he's in the public domain. <laughs> I did. Um, and yeah, he's just allowed to occupy this kind of like slightly aloof. Uh, position in the book so you've got hayward you've got david the bard you've got cora and alice the two daughters of general monroe mm-hmm. um the salient traits you need to know about these women in this book is that cora has dark hair and alice has light hair um those are the two types of women yeah cora <laughs> cora talks a lot a, bit more. a lot of of 
tasteless jokes have led me to believe that there are two types of women and it's blondes and everything else. Yeah. Cora talks a little bit more. Cora has a Shakespearean almost plea to a tribal elder late in the book. Um, she makes kind of her own noble sacrifice early in the book. She's a more interesting character. It is, uh, her dad says that she is actually, um, he slept with a woman in the West Indies. Um, that was not oh, his dad. wife back in Europe. Thanks, and dad. So, this is a great time for you to be telling me this, dad. Uh, so I was reading a little bit about the book and someone referred to Cora as one of the first, like, quote unquote, tragic mulattoes in American literature. Um, it, it is really not well handled, the fact that she is of mixed race and, you know, Cooper just kind of moves on. Um, and then Alice is just there to, like, cry and pass out and be the love interest for Duncan Hayward. Mm-hmm. Um, so the four of them are going on a little journey from this relief column, and they're going to try to make it take a shortcut, I think, to make it to Fort Henry to get to Papa Monroe. Um, and they are being led by a uh, a Huron leader, kind of a disgraced one named Magua. Mm-hmm. He was kidnapped by the Mohawks and then was with them for a little while. And then he was with, fell in with General Monroe and there's this whole backstory where he got drunk on whiskey and caused problems, and then General Monroe like whipped him publicly, and now Magua hates General Monroe, mm-hmm. and he's trying to you know get back with the Huron people and like kind of restore his own place in their like his own power in their in their society. Mm-hmm. Um, so he le- he is supposed to be their guide, and he's doing a bad job on purpose. Okay. And they kind of just stumble upon Natty Bumpo. So, Nat- <laughs> what's the deal with Natty Bumpo? He's a white guy who doesn't live in white society. He's a white mm-hmm. guy who lives in the woods mm-hmm. um, with uh, Chinkachuk, is how so- I. Yeah, okay. do you have a, yes. a better pronunciation for that? So, okay, so it is spelled the way it is like spelled in, in, in english and in a way i think you said it was pronounced in the in the film in the in the, the 1992 movie with daniel day lewis is chinga chuk basically it's got a ch in it yeah and yeah. so i did a lot did a lot of reading about this and the root that i found that i think should or could inform our pronunciation, pronunciation is if you if you will recall uh, they are getting this stuff from this book by this Heckewelder guy, this yeah. German guy. And so uh, Heckewelder had spelled it, uh, he'd spelled it as would have been like phonetic for him, but CH, like a CH in German is like a like a Bach. Oh. I read ah. that it's more like Bach than the ch- in church is what. Yeah. What I've seen, so like Hingahook or um, or, zing, or like hing, a hingui hook. hook. It's it, yeah. it's derived from a Lenape language uh, that means big snake. Yeah. Okay. And uh, hingui hook is sort of is what I think I've cobbled together from a couple different sources. Again, okay. again, yeah, this Heckewelder guy's getting all up in our business and messing everything up. Okay, Hingwe Hook. That's uh, yeah, however, it's been pronounced incorrectly since his appearance in Cooper's works is pronounced properly uh, Hingwe Hook, the CH in initial position, resembling a guttural H. Heckwelder, a German, rendered the spelling as Cooper wrote it, but the pronunciation would be as in Heckwelder's native language. Okay, Hingwe Hook. That's yeah. fine with me. And yeah, it's, the bulk of the novel does take place in you know territory that would be of the Lenape people, much like Philadelphia. Um, and it's Hingahook and Uncas and Hawkeye, aka Nathaniel, aka Natty Bumpo, Natty Mister Mister Bumpo, Mister Bumpo, Bumpo's boys hanging out in the woods, <laughs> and Hingahook and Uncas are the last of the Mohicans. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the Lenape or the or the Delaware people. Um, have left that territory. Um, but that is kind of where 
Hawkeye grew up. He grew up with Delaware folks. And so now he is with these. Um, Hingohook is like kind of a, I don't think he's particularly disgraced. He's just like he did not relocate. He did not get displaced. And he mm-hmm. is with his son. Um, and he was a, a, a tribal leader. And Uncas is, is like this, um, you know, he will be if he ever assumes it's not the throne, but there's like a lot of stories where it's like he's kind of the prince in hiding yeah. in a way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so the three of them just kind of hang out and they are like, they're not cell swords, but they do kind of mix it up with different tribes and different antagonists a lot. I just like the the idea that they would ally themselves with whoever stumbles upon them in the woods. <laughs> well, and like makes a convincing case for themselves. The, the main thing, is, and I, I think... Um, you know, Natty Bumpo is of English descent. I don't, I don't think that he particularly is like I love the king or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, so when he sees these English people wandering through the woods, and it is worth noting that David the Bard has big Ichabod Crane energy. They mm-hmm. talk about how like wacky his, just his whole gait is and mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, oh, these people are a lot, but. Uh, Hawkeye and his companions note instantly that they think that Magua is uh, maybe not above board. Mm-hmm. And the second that Natty Bumpo tries to say something about it, Magua runs runs away. And Hawkeye's like, "Well, I think that might that guy might be a Huron spy working with the French, so we need to get you all to safety because he's clearly going to go tell people about you." Mm-hmm. And you're gonna get killed. Mm-hmm. And then we get the the this book is an adventure book because then we <laughs> these people we have a traveling party and there's people who know what they're doing and then there's people who don't know what they're doing. It's probably and, easier to enjoy it on its on its own level if you try to just like turn your brain off and forget about all the inaccuracies. Oh and yeah, the, and the and the cultural know, the, impact, the, the centuries, yeah, and like the, yeah. the thing, the the things that it introduced into culture, and just think of it as a weird, like extended Mark Trail adventure or it something. Is. Like <laughs> at its at its best, I found the adventure sequences like compelling. So like, there's this opening sequence where they are hiding in this like rocky island. And Huron folks are coming at them from across the water, and uh, it's this it's Bumpo. Bumpo's like had this hideout for a while, and he's like kind of really risking bringing other people there. Mm-hmm. But they're having like shootouts across the water, and I don't know if you know this, Andrew. You can't just like fire multiple shots from a musket. Like you have to like reload, and like the power can get wet, and you like might run out of ammo. Mm-hmm. You know, and also they like were accurate at a range of like eighteen inches. Like they were, well, they weren't great guns. Now that is the thing about Natty Bumpo, aka La Longa Calibre, or whatever he's called, mm-hmm. Carabine, excuse me, mm-hmm. is that he has a special gun Ooh. called Kill Deer. Okay, Natty Bumpo, that is this like magical long rifle mm-hmm. that is like the best gun on the continent. It is, that's, it a, is, that's another very uniquely American thing. Is like Natty Bumpo is a wonderful, rugged individualist, and also he invented the best gun <laughs> that anybody's ever seen. Best gun. And he spends most of the book telling you about how Hingahook and Uncas are better trackers than he is. They are stronger than he is. They are wiser. They are, you know, more capable in the woods. But he does have the best gun. He does have the best gun. He does have the best gun. Mm-hmm. And he is a man with no cross, but and he's out here to shoot varmints. Like that's what he says. He says varmints <sighs> a bunch too. Natty Pumpo. Uh and so there's like a shootout, and then Magua and his and his boys actually uh are descending upon them. And Cora is like, hey, Natty Bumpo, you guys got to clear out because they are going to get us. And if they get us, then you can come rescue us. It's a cool plan. I don't know why she does this. But uh, so that happens and then they go rescue them. And of course, it's like 
it's some like Saturday morning cartoon stuff, Andrew. Like Mago just like gets away. Like he mm-hmm. is just, you know, he twirls his mustache and he vanishes. Into, he <laughs> into does the woods. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, his what is his name in the book? Because a bunch of them have like nicknames. I don't remember the ones for Hingo Hook and Uncas, but um, I think Uncas is the is the bounding elk, Lacerfagil, and uh, Magua is JFC. Le- he is <laughs> Magua is Lorena Subtil. He is the sly fox. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I you re- you referenced it in the the JF Uper, uh, the JFC Uper article mm-hmm. about um, he's like a he's dastardly or whatever mm-hmm. whatever the words were. Dastardly is a word that you use exclusively when you talk about guys who tie women to train tracks. Yeah, like he does, and he does things like that. <laughs> um, Magua's whole deal is he's going to capture these ladies, and he makes an offer to Cora. Where he's like, your dad beat the crap out of me. I hate him. I want you to be my wife, and I'm gonna treat you like dirt, or else I'm gonna kill you and all your friends. And she's like, hell no, I would like not to do that. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna kill them, and then Natty Bumpo shows up, and they fight, and then Magua gets away. Good on you, Natty Bumpo. Yeah, and and it's like a real like. It is a cartoonish escape where they're like fighting next to a cliff and then he like fall. It's not like a big cliff, but like kind of a cliff face and he falls down and then he like scatters over the side and runs away and they're like, well, yeah, we can't chase him. It would need to be a cliff big enough to create suspense because you're fighting on the edge of a cliff, but not like big enough, short, to kill. short enough yeah. that if you fell off it, you could plausibly come back later and say, well, you didn't see my body on camera. Yes. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the whole group goes to Fort Henry, and there's Henry. a. I know it's a very nice name for a fort. Um, <laughs> this part was kind of boring because there wasn't enough Natty Bumpo. Uh, it was mostly about uh, Duncan Hayward and how he wants to marry Alice, so he has to get permission from General Monroe to marry Alice, but also uh, Monroe sent Natty Bumpo to. <laughs> deliver a letter to get English reinforcements but the French captured him and so that's not going to happen so the French are like hey get out of the fort and all the British people are like okay Mm -hmm. and as they're marching out of the fort and this is something you referenced earlier um, everyone in the fort has to leave and uh, Magua and a bunch of other uh, Hurons are there and this like big massacre breaks out it's really horrific Um, it opens because like a guy tries to steal a a lady's like shawl and then she tries to use her like baby to like, you know, like don't, don't steal that. It's my baby shawl. And he just like kills the baby instead. And then people just start need the shawl anymore. Nope. And then he just kills her. And then all of a sudden it's just everybody's fighting and it's awful. And then in that Magua shows up again and steals Alice and Cora goes with him and then David follows them. And so then the the second half of the book is Natty Bumpo, General Monroe, um, Hingo Hook, Uncas, and Hayward trying to track the two daughters and David. Um, and that's like a that's a decent chunk of the middle of the book. And there's mm-hmm. like some interesting scenes. There's like how much do you like books about tracking, Andrew? Do you like to read about tracking? I mean, it depends on who's being tracked and why and how. Like, if you're just, if it's a, if it's like somebody just looking at like bent bent twigs and be like, yeah, I went this way. I don't know if that's super interesting to me. But if you are on the computer and you're hacking into the trunk line and you're like, well, his phone pinged a cell tower in Berlin and we've tried and we've tracked him this way. Like I think that's interesting, but that might just be because of my modern sensibilities. Yeah. Know? Do you find it interesting that it's like, well, uh, we can tell that the girls were here because only horses that these white people in this one region have walk this way. I mean, that's basically how they solve every crime on the show bones. So yes, I am. It is just the one guy being like, yeah, there were, there was dirt under her fingernails that you can only find in this specific area of Virginia. Yeah. Which is where a lot of our crimes happen because 
that's how they come into the FBI's jurisdiction is they just barely cross state lines somehow. Mm. The the track I found the tracking stuff fun. Um I found there's a couple other like adventure sequences that are that are neat. Like there's one where they're they are tracking Magua mm-hmm. and they're also being tracked by another set of Hurons who are chasing them mm-hmm. and they try to lose them on this river in canoes and there's this like canoe chase sequence Ooh. where each each canoe has guns in it Whoa. but like you can either paddle or use a gun <laughs> and so they're like trying to figure out the resources and they're trying to you know like it's almost like you're playing um like a boat like like a boat war game where it's, it's like, like a, a boat big... war game combined with like resource management and yeah. like survival horror. Mm. Yeah, and mm. like you know, mm. um, uh, Natty Bumpo's magic rifle has like better range than all the rifles that the Hurons have. Right, and so because that's like... his, that's the buff that his character class gets. Yes, so he's but very, he has low charisma because he hates society. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wait. What did, what did you did you align Natty Bumpo? I I think he's chaotic good, but I think you could probably read him as chaotic neutral. Okay. I, I haven't read the rest of the Leatherstocking tales, so I don't I don't know. I mm-hmm. can tell you that Duncan Hayward is definitely lawful good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know David the Bard's uh alignment. I mean, he's a bard, so he's not he's not material. There's to the, a spot to the story. Anyway. You know, I was reading about how the massacre of all the people leaving Fort Henry was perhaps inaccurate in Cooper's description. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I think a thing that probably didn't happen was when David the Bard just started singing in the middle of the fight, and mm-hmm. a bunch of the attacking Hurons were like, "Well, no one touched that guy. He's, yeah, singing, he's singing, and it's beautiful." Mm-hmm. He was casting a spell. I was thinking, but we mentioned Sherlock Holmes earlier, and that yep. made me think about our uh, Super Smash Brothers style fighting game where we only <laughs> use public domain characters. <laughs> and now I'm thinking about a canoe fighting game called Canoes You Can Use, where Wait, what? <laughs> it's people fighting, and it's just different characters with different strengths and weaknesses fighting. That can be a le- that could be a level in our public domain fighting game. Could it be. could be called Canoes You Can Use? Yeah, I do like the name of it. Yeah, but you want you want full on like physics in your canoe battle. I want it to be one of those games that's really really hard to, to control, like actually play. But yeah. then there's like we get this whole weird Reddit community that's yes. devoted. To this. <laughs> I want it to be the great the Gran Turismo of old timey boat based shooting games. Yeah, sure, okay. This is good. This is really accessible. Yes, I'm glad that I. <laughs> led us down this path there's uh okay there's so a, tell, tell me more about mr bumpo and his misadventures the the thing i didn't expect from this book is that parts of it would be goofy um what did you ex- can we start with what you did expect from the book oh i i expected it to be historical fiction i expected okay. it to be it, i i did go in with some sense that it was, uh, at least from Cooper's perspective, attempting to be, you know, like the creation of this noble savage character um, and trope, like respectful of some of the indigenous people depicted in the book, but also like there are also bad people and there are also, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not all the white people are bad, you know, kind of stuff. Like that. it's just like, in creating the nuance that he did create, it does feel, you know, limited by the time period that it was written in. Yeah. Um, okay. And I expected but. there to be kind of a, a rescue adventure, you know, that we're, we're I, I feel like I knew that some, that some point in the movie, um, Daniel Day-Lewis says something like, I will find you or something. Like, he's mm-hmm. like finding the girls or whatever. Mm-hmm. Didn't expect you, there you to be goof troop to stuff. Goofy. Yeah, okay. So, so what's goofy? There's a goof troop, A, David the Bard singing during a fight and it, you know, winding people down. Goofy. Is that um, goofy or is just the, that's just the magic of music, baby? Well, okay. That was not goofy on purpose. There is stuff that's goofy. goofy and also goofy. just maybe like these these people are so 
uncivilized that they hadn't invented music yet. There is maybe that undertone of what is happening here where David is like, I am singing beautiful Christian music mm-hmm. that is like soothing the battlefield. Mm-hmm. It's kinda... And it's like and it's like when the Ewoks make C-3PO into a god. You know, it's exactly <laughs> like that. Okay. Um, so the a goofy part is when they are trying to track down where the daughters got taken to and um, Hayward is kind of on his own. He's in the brush and he sees this lake with a bunch of what he thinks are, you know, huts and constructions of some tribe he doesn't recognize. And there's a lot of creatures in the water and, you know, his he's really paranoid. So he doesn't know what those people in the water are doing. And then he sees this one guy on the coast and he doesn't recognize what tribe he's from, so he's not quite sure what to do. And he calls over Natty Bumpo, uh, and he's like, "Hey, could, we gotta. Can you go up there, sneak up, and like knock that guy out? We can find out what's going on." And Natty Bumpo's like, "Okay, sure, dude. I'll do whatever you want." <laughs> and Natty Bumpo goes over there, and it is actually a first David in disguise. Mm-hmm. Um, he is not wearing his normal clothes. Um, and so he looked like he was of the Huron tribe or something like that. Uh, and all of the buildings and the creatures in the water, Andrew, mm-hmm. beavers and their dams. <laughs> and it's one so, of the funnier animals, the beaver. It's one of, because they build things like humans, but they're not humans. They're not humans. They're just beavers. They got those big tails that go slap. Uh, yeah. So that's funny. Cause Natty Bumpo's like you funny doofus. You thought it was people and it was beavers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's funny. And then there's so they the the book ends with two camps, and this is happening up on like up in and around Canada territory. Um, you know, northern New York, all the great the Great Lakes, whatever. Yeah. Um, there are They're two not that great, but that's fine. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> there are two sections. Um, there's the Huron village where Magua has taken Alice and there is the Delaware village or territory or whatever, where um, per custom, he has split up his hostages. They Cooper says that that's a custom and he never really unpacks why, mm-hmm. but it's something that Magua did. And so Cora is with the Delaware people. I think we're pretty... We've established pretty thoroughly at this point that <laughs> James Fenimore Cooper is not an expert on nope. customs of of indigenous people. So, Don't think that okay. he is. And he so the the party splits up a little bit. Hingahook and Monroe hang back. Natty Bumpo and Hawkeye are gonna go to the Delaware village and uh, Hayward and David, I think, but Hayward's going to go on his own. Is going to sneak into the Huron village disguised as a of like a French magician or something, like some <laughs> kind of like French mag- magical medicine man or something mm-hmm, awful. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to sneak in there and try and find the love of his, of his life, Alice. And that whole section, Uncas has also been captured in the Huron village, so they also have to rescue. Uncas and Natty Bumpo shows up in a cave dressed as a bear and he's like walking around in a bear costume because he like knocked out some other guy who was wearing a bear costume. <laughs> and then he's like walking around mm-hmm. being a magical bear guy. Um, and they rescue Alice from a cave and they scare off Magua briefly. Well, no, they tie him up in a cave. And then like Natty Bumpo dresses up as David so that they can get Uncas at. Just a lot of hijinks. Didn't expect hijinks. A lot of hijinks and heists. Yeah. Yes. And then we get to the final battle sequence of the book where after a protracted, almost like trial sequence in the Delaware camp where Magua shows up and he's like, hey, listen, I am claiming this white woman that I captured and, and put in your in your stead i would like her back please mm-hmm. um this you know the long uh calibre person is here and i don't want him um so i'm gonna take this lady and go 
and also, oh wow, everyone realizes that Uncas is the the natural prince of of all of these people, and he can lead them into battle. Mm-hmm. And so that there's a big. Can you time code me? My nose is really itchy. I'm sorry. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, and then there's just like this big messy battle between the Delawares and the Hurons. Uh. That of all of the action, I don't know. I don't know what analogs you have, Andrew, but like the action sequences earlier in this book are very tight to our main characters in a way that is very legible. Was pretty legible to me, mm-hmm. um, even with the kind of highfalutin language and and everybody talking too much. Uh, I could kind of <laughs> tell what was going on. Uh-huh. And then this last sequence, it reminds me of the four. Anytime there's a battle in a Shakespeare play in the fourth or fifth act, when it's just like people run on stage and say their lines and then noises and then they run off stage. And then like we're to understand a battle is happening. Okay. This has a lot of like, well, and then those guys came out of the bushes and then they dove into the bushes. And then that guy's guys came out of the bushes and dove into the bushes. And like that goes on for like 20 pages Until we get back to, oh, no, we're in a cave. It's Natty Bumpo. It's Duncan. It's Magua. It's Uncas. Like, our main characters are back. And so I was just kind of frustrated by the messy actions. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know what your reference point for that would be. But I've noticed it in things other than... I mean, it just sounds like a TV show, a movie, a... I mean, you mentioned plays, like pick what you want, but something where showing the effect is too expensive. And so they have to describe the effect. (laughs) Yeah, sure. And so it is a, is perhaps a TV show toward the end of its run when the budget has been cut and they still want to have action sequences, (laughs) but they can only really afford them in one or two episodes. Yeah. Remember that big battle in the HBO's Rome? Yeah, I knew you were going to talk about HBO's Rome, where every battle is a fade to black. Yep. <laughs> instead of actually a battle. And a slow-mo guy dropping a standard. Mm-hmm. And then a, ble- a bleeding hand. It's not um, good. No, this was not that. I mean, it's, it's no Boardwalk Empire. Well, you know. <laughs> um, But this was similarly a little confusing until it got back to our main characters. And then... Mm-hmm. uh. Some people, some of our our uh, characters that we like, don't make it. They die. Okay. Um, Did Natty Bumpo make it? Natty Bumpo makes it. Okay, he doesn't get bumped off. No. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, and Magua doesn't make it. Our our villain is defeated. He is killed I mean, by Natty Bumpo. Good. Yeah, he dies escaping. Mm-hmm. Like, which is a thing that he's very good at. His two skills, Magua, are escaping and oration. Yeah, same. Um, honestly, there are multiple times in the book <laughs> where he like wins a group of people over to his side by like telling the story of whoever their enemy in that situation and what has what they have done to whatever group he is speaking to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just found it interesting that it happens like four or five times in the book that this character is like, he's not just a, you know, he is the Wily Fox. That is, that is his name. And so he is not just leading people into battle. There's always, almost always there's a, like a sequence where he has to like whip them up into a mindset where they're going to go into battle. Um, and I, I don't know what trope that quite fits into, mm-hmm. but I do think he is the, like the villain who's always escaping is, is its own own trope. Yeah. I mean, that if you're going to write subsequent books or produce subsequent episodes of the TV show, you always have to have a guy who says, you know, next time gadget next time and then flies away in his <laughs> yeah. submarine. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but so then, yeah, some people have died. It's sad, and uh, you, sound, you sound really broken up about. Well, it. It, it's just um, Natty Bumpo is kind of confused <laughs> about how these two like grief processes. You know, Cora doesn't make it, and Uncas doesn't make it, mm-hmm. and so the Delawares are now mourning their like newly found prince, this Mohican. And so uh, was, is he the last of the Mohicans or are he 
Yes. And um, he and Hingahook are. Yeah, are they collectively the last of the Mohicans? Well, so the end of the book, um, there's language from this Delaware elder where he says that I lived to see the last of the Mohicans. And it is, you know, very strongly implied that like Hingahook is an older man. Mm-hmm. He's not going to have another son. And it was just him and Uncas. And so now that Uncas is dead, that's it. Yeah. Well, apparently, you know, that's not it's not how, no. you know, that in this story, that's what it is. Why that, would you say that to a guy whose son just died? Well, he says it. He doesn't say it to <laughs> He kind of okay. says it to his people as a close to the like the, the funeral event that is mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole time, Natty Bumpo is like watching the other white people mourn for Cora and like he's he's kind of skeptical of these two cultures uh kind of coalescing in their grief uh but then his final scene is with Hingahook being like hey you and me ride or die Hingahook we're together okay sorry about your son but uh we're going we're going to stick it out you and me <laughs> uh, i don't know if that's i i i believe Hingahook is in other books Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he is. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's the book. Um, Natty Bumpo's a weird character. I'm would never have guessed from his name, which again is Natty Bumpo. Yeah. Um, the the kind of like built-in tragedy of the the end of this tribe of people which is not true but it is like the point of the book like you got to deal with that um the tropes that it's laying out you got to deal with and and also just that like as you said talking about this era of of the this part of the seven years war like all of the uh, tribal people like tribal leaders in charge are constantly referencing the fact that they're like doing the bidding of these colonial powers mm-hmm. um, and that just is a reality of this world and mm-hmm. to the I think to their understanding that like the sun is setting on on their autonomy mm-hmm. um, which is a thing that this book is talking about yeah. um, at its best it's a it's a fun adventure story I think it's utility is is more of a as we said like where it stands in the history of the american novel Mm -hmm. i don't think that you need to go tell this story anew yeah i mean don't go and also don't go making any assumptions about what history is actually like from the way that it's described in this book yeah except that sometimes old-timing guys did have whack names like natty (laughs) bumbo Well, and I don't know if this was like if that if the if the gun Killdeer is based on a real gun. Like, did he mm-hmm. read about a cool gun? I think actually invented, he, re- he probably just invented a good gun. Yeah, he's such a rugged individualist. It, it is my understanding he did go to some cool caves and was like, "What if I set part of a book in these cool caves?" Yeah, and what if the hero was named Natty Bumpo and he had the best gun in all the land? And. <laughs> Apparently he had a really bad fever and dictated part of his book to like his wife or something. Maybe that's the battle sequence at the end. <laughs> I think she was that's like, why it's like who that. the heck is Natty Bumpo? We gotta bring your fever down, Natty. bud. He calls him Natty Bumpo. That's call true. Him Hawkeye. Yeah, let me see. Let me just double check real quick that just, Bumpo make me Bumpo wonder. is not in this book at all. The the words Natty Bumpo are not in the book. Um, he says at one point for myself, I conclude all the bumpos could shoot for I have a natural turn with a rifle, which must have been handed down from generation to generation. Are we sure that Natty Bumpo doesn't mean natural Bumpo (laughs) because he's a natural with a (laughs) firearm? That is literally the only time Bumpo is used in this book. So, Mm -hmm. well, I mean, he's in, he's on Wikipedia. He's on the public domain superheroes wiki. He is widely known <laughs> as Natty Bumpo with two P's in Bumpo. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for letting me tell you about this book, Andrew. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad that we got to the bottom of Natty Bumpo. 
I don't know that we did. No, I don't we know didn't. that you ever could. He is. You stare into Natty Bumpo, and sometimes Natty Bumpo stares back. <laughs> uh, all you JFC Uber heads out there, um, tell us what we missed. I'm sure there's interesting stuff that we didn't have time to talk about. You can send us an email overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up overduepod on social media. Thanks to Emily, Marissa, Hannah, Azul, Starfish Chick, Rosalie, Amanda, and more folks talking about our recent Harriet the Spy episode. Uh, our theme song is composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. Uh, we also have a Patreon project, patreon.com slash overduepod. Click on that link and support the show directly. It helps us pay for books, helps us pay for hosting, uh, helps us pay for new equipment when we need it, helps us keep our children fed and taken care of. Yeah. Um, and then you get some stuff in return. It's a, this the, old, book, the old quid pro quo. This book was a patron's choice for January. We, mm-hmm. we will have polls for February, so if you want to weigh in on part of our February schedule... Uh, to, to go go to the Patreon. Yeah. Uh, next week I'm gonna be reading "Cast in Shadow" by Michelle Sagara. It's number one in the Chronicles of Elantra series. Which, if you're reading along with us, it is definitely number one. Even though when you start reading it, you're gonna feel like there's an entire book that you definitely missed. <laughs> and that's my it. that's a preview of the read I'm having. <laughs> and if you're not a Patreon subscriber, you haven't listened to our December Q and a yet. That should be up on the main feed by the time you're hearing this. If not soon, soon. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening until we talk to you next time. Try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.